My name is Mark Putman. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. It's good to be in the house with you this morning. You know, this is a very full day in the life of the church. And honestly, it's kind of an interesting day, an unusual day, if you will. It's unusual because this is um, the fourth Sunday of Advent, while in just like an hour from now, we'll do this presto changeo, like go into a telephone booth and change or something, and like it'll be Christmas Eve. And, <laughs> and so it's a full day. We've got lots and lots of services to celebrate the birth of Jesus throughout the day today. This only happens about once every six years when, when the fourth Sunday of Advent falls on the same day that Christmas Eve does. So it makes for a really fun day. Now, during this Advent season, we've been um, in a sermon series that we've entitled God With Us, and we've been looking at different ways that God is with us, because in Jesus Christ, God became one of us. He became Emmanuel, which means God with us. And today, we're going to look at the ways that God is with us as we serve in ministry. You know, from the very beginning of creation, we were created to live in perfect relationship with God. And we were created to worship and to serve God. Now, of course, the fall of mankind in the Garden of even Eden messed all of that up. But from the time that God called a people to be his own through Abraham and Sarah, and then later shaped his people through his servant Moses... Followers of God have used their gifts and their talents in service to God and to other people. And God has always wanted to live right in the midst of his people. God has always wanted to be with us. In the Garden of Eden, we see God taking a stroll in the cool of the Eden, evening through the garden, calling out to Adam and Eve, come walk with me, where are you? Again, the fall of mankind kind of messed up the closeness with which we were created to live with God. But God set a plan of action in motion through Abraham and Sarah, and then many years later through Moses, after Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, while they were still wandering in the wilderness, God began to give through Moses some rules to live by, some commandments for the people to live by so they could be faithful and live in relationship with God and with other people. Now we know that God showed up and showed himself to Moses. Remember that bush that was burning, but it didn't burn up. Or how he showed up in fire and smoke. But God had not really made himself known to all the people. God wanted to change this. And so God began to give Moses instructions to build a tabernacle, which is kind of a, a movable worship structure, a bit like a tent, a really big tent, where the people could worship God and God could come and be in their midst. And every time God would call the people to move on from one place to another place in the wilderness, this tabernacle of God could be packed up and, and moved and carried with them and, and then set up again and God would dwell in the midst of his people. God told Moses to tell the people in Exodus 25, verse 8, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. And then for the next 
five chapters in Exodus, God gives some very detailed instructions for how to build the tabernacle and all of the furnishings that are going to go into the tabernacle that will be used in the worship of and service to God. Each and every person was to bring their gifts to use their gifts and their talents, to offer the very best that they could in the building of the tabernacle as an act of service to God and worship of God. Moses said to the people, Come, all of you who are gifted craftsmen, construct everything that the Lord has commanded. Then Moses told the people of Israel, the Lord has specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. The Lord has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He's a master at every craft. And the Lord has given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach their skills to others. The Lord has given them special skills as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet thread on fine linen cloth and weavers. They excel as craftsmen and as designers. The Lord has gifted Bezalel, Aholiab, and the other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. Let them construct and furnish the tabernacle, just as the Lord commanded. So while the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years, the presence of the Lord was with them wherever they went, in the tabernacle. And then years later, when they had settled in the promised land, and the kingdom had been secured by King Saul, David, and Solomon, a more permanent temple was built in Jerusalem. And the presence of God was with the people as he dwelt in the holy of holies, the most holy, the most sacred inner room of the temple where the high priest himself could only go one day per year. It was King Solomon who finally built the temple. And when it was completed, the Ark of the Covenant and all the sacred furnishings from the tabernacle were brought there to the temple. The priests carried the Ark to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple into the most holy place, and they put it under the wings of the cherubim. And listen to what happened next in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, where it tells us, When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. You see, God came and he dwelt in the midst of the people, in the holy of holies in the Jerusalem temple. But it still wasn't like the people had direct access to God. In fact, as I said, even the high priest could only go into the holy of holies 
one day per year on the Day of Atonement. And so it went on and on for many, many years. The priests carrying out the service in the temple, the sacrifices were carried out day after day, and God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. But there was so much disobedience among the people. They turned their backs on God. They were sinful. And no amount of sacrifices could ever take care of their sin in a permanent way. And so the prophets were sent by God to warn his people. They told the people, turn back to God. Turn your hearts to God. Worship God only and be obedient to his commandments. But they weren't. And one day God had had enough. Even his presence was taken from the people. The prophet Ezekiel saw the presence of God, the glory of God depart from the temple in Jerusalem. The prophet says in Ezekiel 10, beginning in verse 18, then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground, and as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. God's holiness required that he leave the temple. You see, his people had defiled the temple so much with their sinful ways. They were practicing idolatry right there in the house of the Lord. They were bowing down to false gods even in the temple. And so the glory of God, the presence of God, left the temple. That is what God had to do because God could not dwell in the midst of of sin. But that doesn't mean that it was God's desire to leave. No, God's desire is to live in close relationship, in close proximity to his people. That never changes. God loves his people. God loves you. God loves all of us. God wants to dwell with us. And so God made a way to do just that. Two Sundays ago, we talked about how God wants to settle and live in us. That God wasn't, doesn't want just a brief visit with us now and again. That he doesn't want to just occasionally show up and be with us. No, he wants to move in to stay. He wants to make his home in our hearts. God wants us to be the temple. God wants to live inside us. Yes, the prophets in the Old Testament warned the people about being disobedient to God. And yes, they warned the people about God abandoning the temple and destroying the people and the land. But the prophets also spoke about the coming of the Messiah. They spoke of the day when a whole new way of relating to God would be possible because of the coming of Jesus, because of the Messiah. You see, the Messiah would make it possible to, re to restore the relationship between God and people that had been broken in the garden. 
Because you see, nothing, nothing is irreparable with God. No, God is making all things new. The prophet Isaiah wrote some of the most beautiful and poetic verses about the coming of Jesus, about the coming of the Messiah. We heard some of them in this morning's Advent reading that the Plyben shared with us. God's desire was not to just restore Israel. It wasn't just to live in close proximity with Israel, but rather God's desire was to gather all the people in the whole world to himself in the coming of Jesus the Messiah. Listen again to Isaiah's words from chapter 49, verses 5 and 6. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. My friends, that is good news for all people. You see, the ministry of Jesus, the Messiah, inaugurates this new realm, this new kingdom, which is full of good news for everyone. And listen to how Isaiah describes it in chapter 61. These are the very same words that Jesus himself used to describe his ministry and his mission on earth. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus read these words in the synagogue of his hometown in Nazareth. One Sabbath day, he visited the synagogue there, and he was asked to read the day's reading. And it was this passage from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And the words of this prophecy began to be fulfilled from the very beginning of Jesus' life. You see, the birth of Jesus, the coming of Christ the Messiah, saw people begin to serve in new and startlingly personal ways right from his conception. As the angel Gabriel gave Mary the good news that she would conceive and bear a son, it was the Holy Spirit that made that possible. And Mary's cousin Elizabeth, pregnant herself with John the Baptist, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the baby kicked inside of her when she saw Mary, who was bearing the Savior of the world. Joseph listened to the voice of the angel of the Lord who appeared to him, and he was obedient to God, and he faithfully took Mary to be his wife and to serve as Jesus' earthly father. The shepherds were astonished to see the night sky outside of Bethlehem lit up like it was daytime and to see a chorus of the heavenly host singing and announcing the birth of the Savior. And so they excitedly ran from their fields into Bethlehem to see for themselves what had taken place. And then they became filled with the Spirit and they ran and became the very first evangelists as they told everyone who would listen 
about what they had seen of the Messiah being born. And like Isaiah said, this good news was indeed for all people. For three kings came from afar, following a star to see for themselves what was happening in Bethlehem. And they became the first Gentiles to worship Jesus. They offered him their gifts, and they bowed down, and they worshiped. Mary served in ministry to God Most High as the mother of the Lord Jesus. Joseph served in ministry to God, and he served his wife Mary as the earthly father of Jesus. The shepherd served in ministry to God by sharing the good news about Jesus with the people in the town of Bethlehem and all of the surrounding countryside. And the three kings served God by worshiping Jesus, by taking the news of what had happened to the Gentiles. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> by taking the good news of what had happened to the Gentiles and even by protecting the baby as they returned to their far-off land by a different road so as to avoid Herod, who wanted to harm the newborn baby king. <coughs> they all served in ministry, and they all humbly submitted to God to use their gifts as best they could. This is the same attitude with which Jesus did his earthly ministry, and it's how Jesus instructed the disciples to serve in Matthew 20. He said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew tells us that Jesus came to earth to do two things, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when we begin to follow Jesus, he empowers us for a life of service. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we will want to follow his example and serve other people. And we do this not for our own sake or in our own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that was with Jesus. It's that spirit by which we are empowered to serve in faithful ways. Jesus reminded his disciples that they were to remain in him as he was in them. Because without him, they couldn't do anything. He used the example of the vine and the branches to show how Jesus is the vine and we are his branches. And we need to stay connected to him so that we can grow, so that we can produce and bear good fruit. Jesus was telling the disciples, just like he is telling us even today, how the Holy Spirit will be with us in ministry. In the text which we've been using for this sermon series, Jesus expands on this idea for us. Hear what he has to say from John 14, beginning in verse 10. He says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. 
or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. This is an amazing promise that Jesus gives us. Jesus promises to send someone who will be there for us, the advocate to help us and to be with us forever, and not even just be with us, but to be in us. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, like Jesus, is truly God, and the advocate is with us forever. And unlike God's presence, which sometimes seemed to come and go at times in the Old Testament, or unlike Jesus, whose physical presence was on earth with us for about 33 years, the Holy Spirit is a constant companion. The Holy Spirit is God with us now. The Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit helps us live holy and godly lives. The Holy Spirit teaches us the things of God. The Holy Spirit reminds us of everything Jesus ever said. The Holy Spirit empowers us for service in the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit gives gifts to every believer to use in service to God and to others. The Apostle Paul tells us about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, he writes, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between Spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. In verse 1 of this passage, Paul tells us the reason that he wanted to write about the spiritual gifts, and it was so that we would not be uninformed about them. And so you see it's important that we know about them and to know what our gifts are. And it's even more important to know why our gifts have been given to us and, and what we're supposed to do with these gifts. I think the best way to sum it up is to say that the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to every Christian 
for the common good. Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to every Christian for the common good. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father above, and that includes the spiritual gifts which the Holy Spirit picks out for each of us and lovingly bestows on each of us. He gives us those when we become believers in God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ. You see, every single Christian has at least one spiritual gift, more than likely several spiritual gifts, but no Christian has all of the gifts. And that's why we need each other. That's why we're meant to work together, because it takes all of us to make the body complete. I believe that this Christmas, the greatest gift that we can give to Jesus is to allow him to use us as the means through which he reveals himself to the world, a world that is so desperately in need to see his power, to see and feel his kindness, to see and hear his truth, to see his love on display. And when the world sees us serving Christ Jesus and serving each other and the world within our giftedness, working together in unity, and being one in Christ Jesus, then scripture says the world will be drawn to Christ Jesus. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and empower us to serve others in Jesus' name. It's the greatest gift that we can give to him this Christmas. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Creating God, we give you thanks that you created each and every one of us to live in perfect relationship with you, that you have long since the very beginning of creation to walk among us, to dwell with us, to be God with us, Emmanuel. Jesus, thank you for leaving your throne in heaven to come to earth and be among us, to teach us, to guide us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have come to live inside each one who has given their lives to Jesus Christ. Thank you for instructing us. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for reminding us of all the words that Jesus spoke. Thank you for convicting us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for equipping us with gifts of the Holy Spirit to use in service to Christ Jesus, to the church of Jesus Christ, and to the whole world. Holy Spirit, this Christmas... Help us to use our gifts in profound ways that like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the kings and everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ, that we might serve you in the unique ways that you've give, gifted each one of us as unique creations, as unique Christians, to make full and complete the body of Christ in the world so that through our service to Christ and each other, the world will come to know Christ, not just the babe born in the manger, but our soon and coming victorious king. We pray in his powerful name. And all God's people said,